We're going to do something special this uh, today, and maybe next week is I'm going to. We're teaching on Titus and uh, looking at elders, but looking at specifically as it relates to pastors, what are you looking for? And so I want to. Uh, I want to keep. I'm going to try to keep it shorter so that after. And I'll try to keep it within a reasonable time. Uh, so that if you have questions about what we're teaching on about this, because it's a, it's, a, it's a subject that sometimes never gets talked about. And that is, is just, you know, what do you look for in terms of qualifications and eldership and an elder, whether it's a teaching elder or a ruling elder? And so, certainly as a church, you know, uh, a lot of times when we go through looking at who's qualified or who we call, oftentimes we... We look at the wrong things. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, uh, one of the things that, that stands out as we look at Titus chapter 1 is that Titus doesn't talk about necessarily the educational issues as much as he does the character issues when it comes to the kind of person that he wants uh, to lead his church. And so uh, I thought that that would be helpful for us. So as you turn over to Titus, um, we're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture, and we're only going to look for, we probably won't even get through all the verse because there's just, there's a lot there. And I wanted us to think about it and just kind of chew on it a little bit for a week or two, just to, so you can write down questions. And if we don't, and you will we'll take some questions after the message, uh, and just so that we can begin to look at this, uh, what Paul says. Now, you know, there's two passages that are kind of, that kind of, re, that tell us about what the qualifications of elders are, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. So Paul has left Crete, and as he left Crete, he left, he left Titus with some work to do because he wasn't able, typically there were two things that Paul did when he went to a, an area. Uh, he evangelized and won people to Christ, through the preaching of the gospel. And then secondly, he would disciple, but in that discipling process, a lot of times he would, he would also, if he was there long enough, then he would look for uh, those who he thought would be um, qualified to lead the church. And in Titus, uh, as he writes to Titus, he basically says uh, that he didn't have time to do that and he wants Titus to do that because the kind of leader that you that you appoint in any church is going to affect the spiritual condition of the church. And, that, and that's his whole point because in chapter 1 and in verse 1 and 2 there, he says the goal uh, of the truth of the gospel is to promote godliness in the church. And so the next thing he jumps into is, you know, elders and leaders because if the leaders aren't... Uh, what they should be, then obviously it's going to affect the rest of the congregation. Um, so um, Harry Reeder, uh, he is a pastor in, uh, it's a huge church. Um, it's, uh, it's in Alabama and uh, in Birmingham, actually. And, uh, but he says this about uh, elders and especially pastors. He says, he says, elders are not thermometers. You know what a thermometer does? It's to detect your temperature, right? What the temperature is. He says, though elders are supposed to be thermostats, they're supposed to raise the spiritual temperature in the church. And so it's kind of, and so as I'm talking, I know I'm going to be talking to some elders and I'm talking to myself 
Uh, and I think when we read qualifications, sometimes we just say, boy, you know, I just, man, these are just too big for me. And, 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 sometimes, and, and think about it, it's pretty weighty when you start reading these qualifications. But I think as we do that, we have to remember that the most primary thing about an elder or leader is this, is, is they understand and they, they understand the gospel, that they're gospel-focused, gospel-oriented. They understand that they're sinners saved by grace. They're, they're not sinless, but they are sinners saved by grace. And that, that's, that's, that has to be the preeminent thing as they look at leadership. And so uh, turn with me to first, for Titus chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 5. Because um, Paul is giving Titus this instruction. And, and remember, Paul is at the end of his life. He's in prison. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he basically is saying, I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to die. And so he's going to die. And he wants to make sure that things in Crete are left uh, not undone. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent or greedy for gain, but, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict, contradict it. And uh, so he's, he's basically saying this is really important for the church to really get uh, focused on because there's going to be people, he says in the next verse, that are insubordinate. They're empty talkers. They're doing, there, there are people who sometimes will destroy a church just uh, by the, by in this particular case, these were, they had certain characteristics that were destructive to the health of the church. And so Paul, he's, he's, he understands that and he wants uh, he wants us to, uh, to think about the quality of the leadership uh, and those that are placed in that position. And, and ultimately, you know, when we, in a Presbyterian church, you have teaching elders and ruling elders, right? And so those uh, teaching elder main responsibility tends to be more teaching and preaching. Uh, a ruling elder, though, is a, t- is a person who's, who teaches uh, but doesn't have maybe the full-time responsibility for that in the church. And so, uh, so as we think about it, uh, think about we need to we need to look at what Paul is uh, is saying to Timothy because probably the the one key thing that jumps out is he talks about this church or the churches of of, of God. He talks about an overseer as being a God's steward, and, and that word there is a household manager. But his point, I think, really kind of helps us as we think about. Uh, what it means to be a leader is that this is his house, this is God's household. The church is God's church. He has the rules and he directs the, and guides within the body of Christ. And therefore, Paul is saying this is what God wants in his church. And so, so that's why it's important to understand that. And to understand stewardship is, is, in other words, I can't just decide what I want to do or preach. Uh, 
I can't get up here and preach from National Geographic, for example. <laughs> I, might, I might take an illustration from it, obviously. But, but technically, the Word of God has to be at the very focus of the ministry. And, and I think that one of the things that, that you know, Paul wants to make sure is that we understand that, that pastors are overseers, or if you want to call it household managers, uh, pastors as well as ruler, uh, ruling elders are in that position. I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I could probably ask you the question, but uh, how many of you love shopping at Hobby Lobby? <laughs> I, I, used, you know, I thought, what, what's, what's so appealing to shopping at Hobby Lobby? But I think then when I realized that it's all crafts and there's all kinds of, and then they've got so many unique stuff and you kind of like, man, I'd like that in my office or I'd like that over here in this wall. Uh, but the person who actually started that is, was a Christian and he started that in 1970 and he started out with a $600 loan, he and his wife. And, uh, and run that forward a few years, and there's 970 of those. <laughs> and uh, it's worth about $7.7 .7 billion. But he said the key to his success was not his skills, management skills. He said it was when he realized that as a Christian, and he was raised, he was raised in a very poor family and so forth, and his dad was a preacher. Most preachers are poor at least the ones I know of around. Um, and, uh, but he said the thing that really kind of really began to work for him was he, began, he saw himself and his company that he was a steward, that he wasn't the owner. And then he looked to God as the one responsible for the blessing as well as any, any problems and difficulties he faced. And, and I thought, well, that's a good way for someone, a Christian, to run his business, to say, God is the, God is the master, I'm the household manager, and, uh, and I'll give God the glory, and I'll look for ways to use, uh, uh, he's a big giver to a lot of different causes, so he's uh, very uh, involved that way. But I thought that that was a good way to think about you know, just in business, that's not the church. But when we come to the church, it's the household of God. It runs according to his rules and direction. And so that's why Paul is, is so kind of like you might say, he's, he's very direct. He jumps right into this without a lot of, you know, without a lot of discussion and, and, and you know, introduction here, in fact, in, in Titus chapter 1. So Paul lists three areas that Titus needs to look at in appointing elders or pastors in the church. And, and the three areas that, that he looks at are, are areas that we probably don't even think about too often, but he looks at, basically he looks at the household as one of the primary ones. So in fact, that's the first one he talks about is uh, the household. And then he looks at the spiritual char character, the private life of the, of the pastor. And then thirdly, uh, he looks at uh, his ability to teach and to, and to expel uh, the word of God. So, so here, uh, so notice at the first there, he uses two different words there. Notice in verse 5, he uses the word appoint elders. But then in chapter uh, verse 7, he says for an overseer. Now, he's talking about the same person. The word overseer is kind of like, it's the word we uh, often use, bishop. And you'll say, uh, somebody will come to you and say, Bishop so-and-so. They're really, they're just using the word elder. Bishop is just the, the, what, he, what that person does. 
But the word elder, presbyteros, is the word we get Presbyterian from. And, but, that's the same, but that same word is used interchangeably. Like in Acts 20, when Paul's telling the uh, Ephesian elders, he's saying, uh, now shepherd the flock of God, and as an overseer, do this. And, and, and as elders, you need to do this. But he uses that same term. So if you hear the word elder or overseer, he's really referring to the same office. But he's, one is more for oversight. And, and an elder was a person typically who was, um, he had wisdom and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, you know, when they looked for, even deacons, they said, you know, I'm looking for men that were uh, full of the Spirit, were full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. So, so those two, two things were very key. And so, that, so you see the, the office itself obviously is something that uh, Paul describes here. And he, he's going to destri- describe the function. But as he does that, he really looks more at the qualifications for the function of the ruling and the, pre, uh, the uh, teaching elder. And so, uh, in, in, the Pres- in the PCA and Presbyterianism, you typically have teaching and ruling elders. And so, that's kind of the, the idea there. But who, now here Paul's appointing them, but in the church, the church appoints elders and pastors, right? You vote on that. It's, uh, uh, and so, uh, oftentimes as a, as a pastor, when someone would be uh, not exactly agreeing with a decision that the session makes then you always say, well, the session made the decision, and I'm only one among many. That's why it's important to have a plurality of elders, because you can't have one person making. You don't want to put one elder. In other words, the pastor is not one above. He's one with. He's, he's one of the session. But, you know, typically the pastor, as the moderator, is not supposed to vote. He only votes if, the, if there's a tie. And, and a lot of churches, I know one church I was in particular in, um, the pastor, they, they had a rule in their session is that unless it was a majority, they didn't even, they wouldn't go ahead and, uh, and approve something. And uh, I thought that was, uh, and I could understand that to a degree, but they had like 12 elders. And I thought, wow, do you ever make it? <laughs> Can you imagine 12 people agreeing on one thing? <laughs> Uh, so, so, so this is kind of Paul's, you might say this is his real focus here, is that churches will rise or fall with the leadership. And so it's important that he, he, we get those types of people who are in those roles that will carry out and fulfill what's required of them as pastors or elders. First um, Peter 5.2 says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Exercising oversight, that's, that's the word bishop, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. So, so what is a, so a shepherd leads by what? Example. So you can see what Paul's getting at here and Peter gets at is he's saying, look, your example will probably teach more to people than your words, right? Because, you know, uh, if somebody says, um, if I say to you, do what I say, but not what I, not as I do, 
you kind of, you automatically question. As a parent, if you do that, by the way, um, your, ch- your children will come to you, well, but you said I was supposed to do this, but you're doing that. So they begin to, they'll, they'll get that like, like, like that, won't they? Uh, it, just, it just doesn't make sense to them. Um, and so, so Paul is, is, he wants us to understand that what's going on in the church has to have the direction and the guidance and the wisdom of God flowing out in the congregation to those the recipients. Like, for example, Hebrews 13, 17 uh, says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, so here he's, he's talking about, so he's saying, you know, you need to obey your leaders in the Lord, never, not blindly, because you always go back to Scripture and say, is this biblical? But he's saying that in doing that, realize that they have this heavy duty. Every elder has to, when we appear before God, I, we have to give account for all the souls. You say, wait there, it's hard enough to give account for my own soul. <laughs> but they are responsible to pray for. Uh, a shepherd does what? He leads. He does what else? He makes sure they're fed. Uh, he feeds, protects, because, you know, there's wolves in sheep's clothing. And he also has to know the sheep, right? The good shepherd calls his sheep by what? By name. So there's those four functions. If you think about it, pastor, elder, role, those are pretty hefty duties. I mean, I mean, Kenny, I know that, uh, and Gerald, I know that there's times where you feel pretty heavy, that you've got a lot on your shoulders, right? Because it's not just that they're looking out after themselves or even their own family. They're looking out after the whole church of Jesus Christ, that they're responsible for it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, awesome responsibility is what I'm saying. And that's why in Hebrews, you know, he's, he's basically saying, you know, obedience isn't, I mean, when he's, he's talking about obedience and submission, he's just talking about th- that's a part of what a church does, why they need to make sure that they, they hire and they get men who they can follow, that they can trust, who have the kind of character that they can say, yes, I, I can follow that person. What they say is, is what I see living down. And not, not perfectly, not sinlessly, because he's going to use this word. Notice that word. It's really, it, it hits you right in the eyes. If anyone is above reproach, verse six, verse 6. And then notice in verse, right after that, in verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Boy, in other words, without accusation. His public... Uh, in other, words, if he, in other words, he doesn't want to defame the name of Christ in the community. In other words, he has to be above reproach. In other words, he, it's not, it's not, it doesn't say sinless, but his life is going to be either a positive or a negative influence in the community. In other words, his moral and spiritual character is important. And I believe that pulpit committees, and I believe that even churches, as they appoint leaders, have a right to ask about the family life. <laughs> In fact, about the marriage. How's your marriage? They should interview the wife and say, and ask her specific questions. Because, you know, if there's not agreement there, it's going to be hard for them to 
manage the household of God. That's the whole point here. So, so notice what he says here about an overseer being blameless. And again, that word, remember Job, it says, was blameless. It didn't say he was sinless, right? But he's blameless. In other words, you, you couldn't charge him with something because he was living a life before God that was pleasing. Um, but notice the first place he's above, above reproach is in his marriage. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. That word there, it just means he's a one-woman man. He doesn't flirt around with the women. <laughs> uh, uh, he's wise in the way he counsels. Like, for example, I think uh, I've told a number of pastors that I've uh, mentored, I've said this because I, I was told this as a, as a young pastor, is that when you counsel women, you want to make sure that you have another person there. Or if you have an office, you're counseling, and I always had a big window. <laughs> and Chris, she was my secretary, uh, but she was always there. I didn't counsel women without another person either in the next room or in the same room if, if it was another pastor or another counselor. And so he's just saying that, that that's a so, so essential because, in, and think about, this is the first area that if he, in other words, if he's not faithful to his wife emotionally and spiritually, he's not going to be faithful to the congregation emotionally and spiritually. That's the idea. It's, and you say, boy, that's, man. I mean, and I, I would stop to say this, is that how many pastors have fallen out of the ministry because of immorality and sexual misconduct? And they poo-poo. Oh, I remember, I remember when I told people that I wouldn't counsel a woman separately, they thought I was a little prudish. I said, well, I'd rather be prudish because, number one, I'm faithful to my wife. I said, number one, I will not dishonor my wife. I love her too much to put her in that position. And I could care less <laughs> what another woman thinks. You know, all right, well, you, that's okay. If you don't like that, that's fine with me. But the point is, is I've got to think about what? The, the whole church and its reputation in the community. And so that's very, very important for the church as they think about who to be leading in a congregation is to ask those types of questions. What, how, do you, how do you counsel women? What are your thoughts in this? And if they say, well, that's, that's just old-fashioned stuff. I mean, Billy Graham, they used to laugh at Billy Graham because he wouldn't even go up on an elevator with another woman. But we ever hear that Billy Graham was ever accused of infidelity? No. I mean, you say, well, that's, that's being a little, you know, too much. Well, you know, it's, it's important because God says it's important here. But what about the home? And you go like, oh, boy, this is another one that, man, you know. Uh, but notice what he says about his children. They're believers or the idea there is that they're, that they're, that they're, that they're, they're not Notice he says, not open to the charge of debaucherous insubordination. In other words, in the home, as leading his home, the pastor's children should be at least submissive in that home. Trusting. That doesn't mean, in other words, I can't ensure that my, all my children are going to be saved, right? But I can ensure that they will be brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I can say, okay, that's my responsibility. I'm going to do that. As much as I can, but I can't save that child. God, only God saves. You know, once they leave home, I mean, that, they make their own decision. But I'm going to raise them up 
in the faith. And, and so, so that, that particular area is, is one in which he's, he's saying the how you run your household and in your marriage, that will affect the way you minister within the body of Christ and the effectiveness or lack of effectiveness uh, in that ministry. In other words, is he domineering in the home? Is he taking responsibility for his home? Uh, how does he conduct his finances, for example? If a person, I've known men drop out of ministry because they were just in so much debt. And I think, I, and I blame seminaries sometimes for that. I mean, some of these guys come out of seminary owing fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. Going into a church that maybe can only pay forty or 50000 it's just, they're already buried. <laughs> and, and, and what do you think is going to happen when the pressure comes in those situations? They're going to feel like, I'm not, I've known really good friends of mine. They, they dropped out of the ministry within a couple of years because they, they, what they were getting paid and what their debts were just beyond their ability to pay. Uh, it affected their ability to minister effectively. Um, and so these are just, this is kind of like, uh, you can see why you need to pray for elders and pastors. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a thing that uh, comes easy in terms of, it's, well, you know, anybody can do this. Well, if that were the case, he wouldn't be laying out these, um, these qualifications here for, for elders. So I would just, I'm going to stop right there. But, just, but, but think about when you are praying, please pray for your elders. <laughs> Pray for, pray for them to be protected, uh, to, to have wisdom, uh, to, to know, uh, you know, because you know, they're dealing with life too. They're living, in a, they're living with the brokenness and the, and the difficulties that you and I face all the time. But in that process, they, um, they, can get, they need encouraged. <laughs> And so they need, uh, you know, there needs to be, you know, I think when we pray for them, we pray for them that, that God would fill them with the Holy Spirit, um, that they would be encouraged, that the Word of God would, would be precious to them. You know, it, when you're preaching every week, sometimes you're just preparing for message. It has to be more than that. You have to be, your walk with God gets affected. You know, if you're just doing this out of, you know, just, okay, well, I'll study a passage, but you're not feeding your soul. See, the, you know, elders are feeding their soul. They're teaching, but they're, they have to, in other words, I can't bring, I can't tell you what honey tastes like if I'm not tasting it. And that honey, of course, is that personal walk with Jesus Christ that, that's, that's so important to you and it's so important to, to us as pastors and, and leaders. I'm going to stop there because, I, like I said, I think that there's too much here. This next section is, is on uh, the the. the, the personal character of the pastor, and we'll go into that in more detail next week. Uh, but, but, but think about it. As you think about a pastor or you think about a, a, a ruling elder, think about their, the example they set in their home life. So important, uh, so key. Uh, and by the way, this doesn't mean that a pastor has to be married, right? Because Paul wasn't married and Jesus wasn't married. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that a pastor whose wife has passed away that he can't remarry. It doesn't mean that there can't be a biblical divorce. You know, a, a divorced pastor who I know uh, 
guy who's one of the, who teaches at one of the seminaries, our seminaries, uh, his wife just up and left him and left, left him with the kids. She didn't want any part of being a pastor's wife. I mean, after he got, he'd been in the ministry for all that long, she just walked away from it. Okay. He had a biblical divorce and he was able to be remarried um, and continued as a pastor of that church. So, um, there's probably a lot of things I forgot, but if you have questions, we're going we're gonna to stop. I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to close with prayer, and then I'm going to say, okay, are there any questions? And if you want to, if you have questions or you just want to, uh, we can talk about those. Or if you want to wait until next week, that's fine too. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of being able to open it. Uh, Lord, this is not the message that... Um, uh, there's so much here that we could say, but we want to take time to, to chew on uh, the word and to reflect on it and to think about uh, areas that uh, we, uh, we want to be uh, praying for our leaders. Lord, none of us are uh, what we were, but uh, we're not what we will be or should be. Uh, but, uh, Father, we know that someday we will be uh, totally like Christ. And I just ask, Father, for this congregation and, and for our brothers and sisters here, Lord, as they, uh, I know, have gone through some difficult times. And, Lord, I know that your grace is sufficient to bring healing, uh, to bring closure, but also to give direction that through uh, even the difficult and trying circumstances that they might know that, um, that, that Jesus, who is the chief elder, it says uh, in uh, I think in Hebrews, and uh, who is uh, uh, the chief elder, the chief, the chief shepherd, uh, that, uh, that you love us and that you will guide and direct us as a congregation to be glorifying to you and to, and to give the leaders that uh, you have placed here, Lord, grant them your grace, your wisdom, your insight into Scripture, your uh, ability, Father, even in the midst of their trials, Father, not to be overwhelmed, but to find hope and to find encouragement in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with... Uh